just hang out here for a minute. Guys, I want to thank you. I share this with you first service. I want to thank you for your great preparation week in and week out and helping point the way to Jesus. And, and I know your guys' heart. You'd be quick to say that it's not just you. There's, there's media, tech people, the choir, and instrumentalists. But church, would you thank God with me for a, an awesome team who don't draw attention to themselves, but they point to Jesus and prepare the way for us. Would you thank God with me for them? Amen. Amen. Before we go on, I just, I just sense there's, there's a moment for us to, to learn something. There's a teaching moment here. You see, great worship and great preaching, it's not how well we do. Amen? It's not how well they receive it. Amen? It's if He shows up. And when He shows up, it doesn't matter how well we do. It doesn't matter if we get it or not when we're sitting in His presence. And that's what we are so blessed to see week in, week out. Thank you, guys. I'll let you go. I hope you never take for granted the blessing of being a part of a church like Grace Point that is fixed and focused on keeping Jesus the head of his church. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into his word. We're ready to, to let him lead and speak to us through his word again. So take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 3 or take, take your phone or your device, navigate over to Revelation 3. Out of your worship folder, grab the outline. Uh, that'll be helpful for you. Grab that outline and uh, keep that close to you. I think that will, will bless you. I don't know how you start your mornings, but most mornings I start with a big cup of hot tea. It's not really a cup. It's like a double-decker mug. I've been told that it's technically a stein for some other kind of liquid that you put in there, but that's not what it's used for in my house. It is my tea mug. I want a man-sized mug of tea. And about, oh, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, our youth pastor, Pastor Ryan, and one of our ministry assistants, Sandy, they turned me on to the joys of loose leaf tea. How many know what I'm talking about? This is the good stuff. You've had loose leaf tea. Be proud. You, you said, okay, it'll, it'll run you. You can't have this Lipton tea bag stuff anymore. It's amazing stuff. I mean, it's so strong. You can feel it going through your veins. It's better than coffee. Coffee's nasty. Tea is amazing. It's great stuff. I, I noticed this week, as I was looking at uh, one of my favorite brands, Pastor Ryan turned me on uh, to Tivana, and, and on the back of the packaging, their slogan, one of the, the phrases that they have as a registered trademark of them, it just leapt out at me, especially pertaining to our study this morning. Here's what it says by this wonderful tea company. Opening the door to health, wisdom, and happiness. I tell you what, this is the right tea. If you've, not, if you've not had it, you need a cup of this stuff. Opening the door to health, to wisdom, and to happiness. That's some good stuff right there. You could package that and sell it. In fact, that's what they did. The only problem is, is if, if I'm really honest, the way I feel after I've had the, uh, the big mug of tea is very similar to the way I felt before. I don't know if there's any doors opening to, to health or any doors opening to wellness or happiness. I may be a little bit more amped up on caffeine, but, but I don't know that I see that happen. And it reminded me of how many claims, whether it's for advertising or our culture says, do this and the door will open for you. Put this on your resume and you will see all kinds of great things happen. Go to this school and all the doors in life will open for you. Dress this way and people will see you as a confident success. Act this way. Do these things. All the things the world tells us, do these things and all the right doors will open for you. It's all empty 
I mean, there's some value and some preparation and things, but the real open doors come when we follow God's will. And this morning I want to share a message with you from Revelation chapter 3. I'm entitling God's Open Door. Now, when we look at following or finding God's will, it's very much like walking through an open door. And sometimes we can get this idea of finding God's will or following God's will or walking through the open door that God provides. We, we see it as kind of this old school game show. Uh, I've seen reruns of it, of Let's Make a Deal. Some of you saw it on its first run at that time. I don't know if you've heard or seen of this game show, Let's Make a Deal. And sometimes we get in our idea, this thought that God is like the host of this game show of Monty Hall, and we are the contestants, and the host lines up these three doors, and the contestants have no idea what's behind each door, and they choose which door, and there lays their fate. And you may not know it, but behind door number one, it's God's best life possible. I mean, amazing things. You don't know it up front. And behind door number two, you don't know it. It's, it's an okay life. Nothing exciting. It's just average life. Oh, but behind door number three, nobody else knows it. Behind door number three is a horrible life. It's a terrible life. It's a life full of pain and misery. It's a disgusting life. And we get this idea of finding or following God's will. is just like a random selection of one of these doors. And who knows what you get. You're just going to be surprised. It's a roll of the dice. That's how you just move through the doors in life. That's how you find God's will. You just randomly select and whatever happens, happens. Even though we think that, the problem is that is nothing like what it means to follow God's will. It is nothing like the doors that he opens up for us. Still other people, they live their life in tremendous fear of choosing the wrong door. So much so that they try to avoid choosing altogether. They live in such a way, I'll never have to make a choice. I'm just going to let things be prescribed for me. And if you've ever chosen the wrong door and had the consequences of making the wrong choice, it's kind of easy to understand how we get this idea of being afraid of, of making the wrong choice or choosing the wrong door. I, uh, I've shared with you before that this summer uh, we went on a, a little time away, took some vacation time. My wife is a high school English teacher, and she took... 26 students to Europe, and she's done trips like this for the last 17, 18 years, and I've never gone with her, but this year I decided to take some time and go with her, and, and, and we went to Europe in a number of different countries and seeing all kinds of things. I learned so much about myself. You learn a lot about yourself when you're not in charge. You learn a lot about yourself when you're in a place that you're out of control, and, and, and you don't really know the language, and you're dependent on other people. I certainly couldn't read the language. One of the things I learned about myself is, is how much I prefer restrooms that are free. And I shared a number of weeks ago, maybe months ago, that one of the things that was new to me is it was common for restrooms that you, you pay to use them. Except when you're eating at a restaurant, you're paying to eat there, it's free. Actually, you've paid for it. It's in your meal. And so, being as cheap as I am, I'm going to go to that restroom whether I have to go or not because I've paid for it. I'm going to get my money's worth. And we were at one of these restaurants, and, and I had found the, uh, the server who spoke a little bit of English. And, and bless their heart, they can speak many languages. I can barely speak English myself, and so I'm the one there in, in trouble. And they direct me in the direction of the toilets, is what they call it. So I'm making my way to the restroom, and, and I get there, and I see two doors, and I just choose the one on the right. I can't read the language. I choose the one on the right. I come into an empty restroom. I choose my stall, and as soon as I walk into the stall, I hear voices coming into the restroom. The problem is the tone of the voices are a little bit higher pitched than what I anticipated. 
I quickly glanced underneath the stall and I saw high heels walking by. At this moment, it became evident that I chose the wrong door. I'm in the women's restroom. And so what do I do? I I quickly walk out to try to sneak out as fast as I can. And I'm met by two more women coming into the restroom who see this bald white guy who's blushing, who can't speak the language, who can't read anything, who is obviously embarrassed, who has chosen the wrong door. Now, if choosing the wrong door in life just meant that you had a little bit of embarrassment and you went around your day, then it's no big deal. The problem is, many of the choices we make, many of the situations you find yourself at a crossroad, when you're choosing between door one, two, or three, or ten, you have consequences that are far greater than just being embarrassed. I've met with many people who have lived their entire life in regret because of some decisions that they've made, and they've lived with those consequences for decade upon decade upon decade. But you see, there's some good news this morning the Lord's going to bring to us. Even though there are consequences to the choices we make, it is never too late to start making right choices. And the same God who loves you more than life itself has opened a door of hope for you, a door of opportunity for you today. So for the next few minutes, I want us to take our attention and look at the open door that Jesus Christ set before this church that we're going to read about in Revelation Centuries ago, the message was first for this city of of Philadelphia, this church of Philadelphia. It was first for them, and then we're going to see what it means to us. Now, it can't mean something to us that it never, ever meant for them. And so we're going to look for some of these universal principles that God was speaking to them that transcend and make their way to us as well. But before we turn to that scripture, I want you to just think for a moment. Where do you need to find God's will in your life? Where do you need direction? Where do you need a door opened for you? Where is it that you find yourself at a fork in the road and you have to make a decision one way or another? I want you to think about it specifically. I'm not going to have you say it out loud, but I want you to have something in your mind. Is it for you? Is it a major financial decision that you're in the midst of right now? Some of you it is. Others, you find yourself at a new stage of life that you've never been before, and you can't just list one door. It's like 15. What school do I choose? What mate do I choose? What do I do with all this extra free time in this new stage of my life? What do I do in this stage of my career? Do I, do I stay on the path to try to own the company? Do I go on a different path? What do I do? Some of you, the open door that you desperately need has to do with your health. Physically, you need a miracle. You, you need God to provide some answers of what path to choose medically. Whatever it is for you, there's something before you. Now, you may think you have it all figured out. You may say, yeah, there's decisions, but that's what I'm good at. I make these decisions. Well, it's okay. You just pick one of the key areas where you need to make a decision. And at the top of your outline, I want you to just write a word or a phrase. This is just for you. I'm not going to have you give it to anybody else. Write it down because I want you to take the rest of the message this morning and think through the lens of the decision that you are about to make or you need to make or the fork in the road that you find yourself. I want you to hear God's message in light of the doors that stand in front of you. So jot that down. And as you do that, let's look together at Revelation chapter 3. I'll be reading verse 7 through 13 from the New Living Translation this morning. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to teach us how to walk through God's open door. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. 
the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength. Yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Verse 13. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. As we look at this and first looking at what what the Lord was saying to this church in Philadelphia and beginning to ask the question, Lord, what might you want to say to us? There's a key verse in here. It's verse 8. Look at it with me. It's where it says, I, the Lord, Jesus, have opened a door for you that no one can close. That's pretty good stuff. That's a pretty good truth. I want to hang on to that today. I'm hoping that the Lord will show us that this can also be some application in our life. What would it mean for us to hang on to the truth that Jesus wants to open some doors for us that no one can close? When he opens it, you couldn't open it on your own. You couldn't be smart enough, work hard enough. You couldn't be well-connected enough. It only will open by the authority of Jesus Christ. There's some doors that he will close and lead us away from. And and nobody will be able to open that door because he has closed that door. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. I will lead you in a way is what he is saying to them. It reminds us of two great biblical themes. We find God's sovereignty in this verse. I have opened a door. The door that he is opening is only one that he can open. Someone has said that man proposes, but God disposes. God is the one who can make things happen. Second, we see our assurance. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. So if this is the Lord's prompting, if this is the Lord's leading, if this is his anointed path for you, no one can close it. He will open that door for you. Because it's God's open door, not ours. No weapon formed against us will prosper. In fact, if any attempt by Satan or the flesh to close that door, they'll end up being stepping stones for us to see God's glory take place in our life. That's some good news that we're going to unpack together and see what that means for them and what it means for us. So with the assurance of the Lord's leadership, I want us to look at at the context in which we find this truth that Jesus will open these doors. Because it's not just a verse dangling there out of context what is the conditions what is the environment what is the atmosphere of this church in which this letter is being written these words are being given to this church of philadelphia what's happening i believe we see in this letter some things that give us those conditions that environment that will help us see what it means for us first we will begin to see that there is this testimony or this tribute to these people 
It's a testimony of how they're living. It's a tribute to how they're living. We also will begin to see there is a challenge that's given to them, and there's also a promise. And so this truth that we love to think of Jesus opening doors for us rests in the context of these three things. Let's explore them together. First, this tribute or testimony to the people who this is first given to. This testimony or tribute is saying that they were a people of service. Jot that down, a people of service. Verse 8, we read these words, I know all the things you do. The Lord knows everything that you think. He knows everything that you think about doing. He knows everything that you do. That's a sobering thought. But the Lord saw their actions, saw everything they did, and there's a word of affirmation, of praise. They were a people of service to the way of the Lord. There was this praise and tribute testimony to the conditions in which this promise can be given. They were a people who did things out of a heart of service to the Lord. This service was not an attempt to earn God's favor. Rather, it was an expression of their love for God. Now, friends, as we begin to look at this, we see some context that I see some familiarity. I, too, see in you a people who love to serve God. There's many of you, so many of you, that have a heart of service that it can be a characterization of Grace Point that we are a people who faithfully serve others day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, from one leadership team to another leadership team to another leadership team. God, I believe, looks at you and says, you are a people who want to serve me. And not just as a team, I believe he sees individuals who also have a heart of service. Now, I want you to know, I'm not just the only one who sees this. There's others who look at what Jesus is doing in your life, in the life of our church, and the life of our ministries, and they see a testimony, a tribute to people who serve. In fact, I was greeted with a voicemail this morning when I came in at 5 this morning. I want you to hear this. Now, this is from a ministry leader in Philadelphia, not the Philadelphia that we're reading about here, but a different Philadelphia. You may or may not know that our students just came back from a mission trip to Philadelphia, and I want you to hear a tribute, a testimony to what happened and to their heart of service. Listen to this voicemail that I, I heard this morning. Pastor Brady, it's uh, Pastor Wesley Tink calling from uh, Front Step in Philadelphia. I'm the executive director here. I just wanted to let you know what a fabulous team and crew you have. This is such a huge blessing. Uh, this is the first uh, team of uh, substantial size that I've gotten to host since I started leading Front Step. And uh, they are just top-notch and far beyond any expectations that I had. Great spirit, great workers, good expertise. Um, just just wonderful. And uh, Grace Point has brought huge blessing to uh, this community in Philadelphia this week. And I just wanted to thank you. And I'll be sending along other... Uh, ways of expressing that, but uh, a kudos for uh, the wonderful people that you have and their kindness and sacrifice and generosity in helping others. It truly is grace in action. Thank you so much. God bless. Bye-bye. As we begin to see that, that this could be a characterization in, in our life, in our faith community as well. We can read on and see there's another tribute we find in Scripture here to this church in Philadelphia, the one in the New Testament. This second tribute brings that of humility. 
he observes in verse 8, you have little strength. Now, this is not a put-down. This is not to say that you're weak or you're, you're this, this no-good, rotten, nothing. No, no, no. He's saying you have little strength. This is actually a tribute, a testimony to their understanding of what they had and what they didn't have. See, it takes some, some wisdom, it takes some humility to understand that even the things that you feel like you're strong in, compared to how good God is, they're weaknesses. And in your weaknesses, that's where you can be made strong. And so there's this idea of this testimony that, that you are of little strength. In other words, it's saying you are a people who are so aware of your desperate dependence on Jesus. One of the things that I love about Grace Point is we are a people who are totally fixed on letting Jesus be number one and trying to get out of the way and let him do his work. It's not by one leader. It's not by one team of leaders. It's by the strength of the Lord that we have hope. And that's not just in our church. That's in many of your lives as well. You begin to live that way. And we're beginning to see some patterns that can be similar to what's happening in the church of Philadelphia and that what may be happening in the church here at Grace Point in your own life. It's this attitude of humility, understanding of how big God is, how much we need Him, and how little we are in His presence. There's also a tribute here to these people that they are of of integrity. Verse 8, you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. In other words, integrity means there is this integration between our talk and our walk. We are practicing what we preach. We are living out what we tell others to do. We are also finding that this is a group of people who not only want to hear what the Lord has to say, they want to do what the Lord is telling them to do. There is this integrity of following through on what he has commanded. That's definitely happening in the context of this church of Philadelphia. I believe it's happening in many of your lives as well. And finally, there's a tribute, a testimony. Christ highlights their faithfulness, their service, their humility, their integrity, and their faithfulness. Verse 10, you have obeyed my command to persevere. Jesus Christ paid tribute to those who are committed to a long obedience in the same direction. We begin to see that this is not just serving once or twice, not just being humble once or twice, and not just being dependent on Him once or twice, but a lifestyle week in, week out of this. That's the picture of this church in which we find this truth that Jesus will open a door that no one else can open. He also brings a challenge. I think there may be some parallels with this challenge for Philadelphia as for us. Here's a two-part challenge. It's this. First, to obey continually. Look at verse 11. Hold on to what you have. Now this is not a picture of white-knuckling it, grasping, gripping so tightly to your possessions. Hold on to what you have. No, no. It's more of a picture saying, hey, hey, don't let anyone take away from you the blessing, the crown that's been given to you. Hold on to your obedience. Hold on to this continued obedience. Don't lose sight of it. Don't let apathy, don't let boredom, Steal away the things that have been stored up for you in heaven. Stay faithful. Obey continually. This is the challenge. Hold on to what you've been given this blessing from the Lord. You see, yesterday's obedience is no indicator, no promise of tomorrow's obedience. 
And so just because I've lived in obedience yesterday, he calls me into fresh new obedience today and fresh new obedience the next day. And this challenge given to the church of Philadelphia to obey continually, I believe is a challenge that can extend to us as well. Live in obedience to me. We're setting a scene, an environment, a culture for which this promise that Jesus gives. We begin to ask this question, if I want to live in total daily obedience How do I know what it is that God is asking me to do? How can I find God's will? How do I know which door is God's door and which door is my door? How do I know if this is the door that the Lord is leading me through or if this is the door that someone else wants me to go through? So practically, as fast as I can, I want to give you three thoughts to help us discern if this is a door of the Lord or the door of myself or the door of someone else. They all start with M to help us memorize this. It's been helpful in my life. You may want to jot this down. It may be helpful in your life as well. I use these three. The first one is this. I ask myself the question to discerning if this is God's door for me to walk through. Ask myself the question, what is my motivation in making this decision? What's motivating you in the direction that you're leaning? You're at that fork in the road. You're thinking, I'll go left, or I'm thinking, I'll go right, or I'm thinking, I'll choose door four or option four. Ask yourself, what is motivating me to make this decision? Are you being motivated by pride? I deserve this. I've earned this. This is what is due me. All indicators Maybe I'm making this decision out of pride. What's motivating me? Am I thinking too high of myself or thinking too low of myself? Oh, that could never, ever be the door I'm supposed to go to. I'm never good enough for that. Hey, friend, that's just another form of pride. That self-loathing is just another aspect of pride. Seems strange, but that's a whole other sermon. Is is it pride that's that's motivating me? Or or is it self-centeredness or selfishness? Maybe I'm just going to make this decision, go through this door. It's just what I want be honest. I want what I want and I want it now. Am I motivated by my own selfishness or self-centeredness? Maybe it's not pride. Maybe it's not selfishness. Maybe, and for many of us, sometimes we're motivated by fear. The way we make our decision, it's just a sheer panic and fear of all the other options. We just choose the one that seems the safest. We say, well, surely I couldn't do that. That's too scary. That could never be God's will for my life. I can't handle that. I can't go there. This is too extreme. And it's really, if we look at what's motivating us, I'm making that decision motivated out of fear. We'll talk about fear in just a little bit. We want to be motivated by the very leading of the Lord. After we ask the question, what's motivating me? Then ask the question, about the message. How does this decision square with the message of God in the Bible? It blows me away how many Christians seek and pray, to actually pray, to find God's will on a decision in their life, and and that decision is leading completely contrary to what God's Word says. It blows me away. It's it's unfortunately a common thing that I see over and over again. Uh, For example... I got permission to share this. This is from some friends that live in Oklahoma, nobody here in this state. I was praying with them, and and I met them, and they were wanting to get married. And they came to talk to me. These are two Christians who believe in Jesus, trusting their life in Jesus. They want to get married, but they were living together. And they said, do you think we should get married? And I said, well, let's first look at at what's happening in our life. And when I discovered they were living together, I said, you know, God gives us instructions that we shouldn't do married things with our hearts, mind, and body before we're married, and maybe we should get right with God before we pursue this. Now, they're still my friends, but they didn't want to hear that, to be honest. 
And sometimes we have to ask ourselves as we're making a decision, how does my choice square with the message of the Bible? God's word can be clear in many, many ways. There's another friend who in Columbus, Ohio, I got permission to share her story as well. And she came to me and to my wife, Carrie, and she wanted wisdom on if this was the man she should marry. Christian woman doing the dating process God's way. And she said, is this the man I should marry? And as we began to talk, she began to share with us that her boyfriend did not know Jesus, did not have a love for Jesus. And we were able to say, you know what? God's word is pretty clear. When you're making a choice and one knows the Lord, to, to unequally be yoked with someone who doesn't know Jesus by choice up front is, is cautioned against, it's steered against in Scripture. And so let's make sure that when we're making this decision, we look at how it squares with the message of God. I could give example upon example upon example, but I think you get the point. How does this decision square? Now sometimes we come to a decision and we say, God's word appears to be silent. Well, we look for principles that apply, and if you'd like more input on how to do some of those things. Talk with me after there's some discipleship teams that we're a part of that can help really look at how do I discern to hear God's voice and do that. But we look at what's my motivation, what's the message, and finally, and knowing is this a door of God or something else, I, I look at that final M word of momentum. As I am living with a motivation that God has brought in my life, and I am living as close as I can to the message that God is given to me in His Word, I ask the question, is this sense of oughtness and rightness about this decision gaining momentum in my life, or is it fading away? See, when Satan is working on you, he's always vague. Something's wrong. Everything's wrong. It's always vague. When the Lord is speaking to you, He's specific. He convicts. He leads in specific ways. And so ask yourself, is there, a, is there an increasing sense of oughtness and rightness, momentum that gains in your heart, or is this fading? Well, that was the first of, of a two-part challenge that the Church of Philadelphia had. They didn't have the M's, but they had this challenge, in essence, to continue to obey. We also see this challenge coming in verse 12, it's a challenge to trust relentlessly. The scripture says, all who are victorious, verse 12. Another translation says, to him who overcomes. This victorious one, this one who overcomes, we earlier saw that it's not because of their strength. It's this victory and they're trusting their dependence on the Lord. And I'm suggesting it's a ruthless dependence, trusting ruthlessly in the Lord. It's this picture of a distance runner who comes up across obstacle upon obstacle and begins to find that he can run the race with the strength of the Lord. I want to finish well. I don't want to just get through the race of life somehow and just endure it some way. I want to be an overcomer. I want to press through. And that only comes by trusting in the Lord. We can't afford to hold back any of our trust in God. I know that some of us, we've been hurt deeply by people on this earth, and when you think of this idea of trusting someone, you go back in your mind to that person who has wronged you, and when someone says, trust me, your first thing is to pull up the wall and say, I need to protect myself. But with God, when we hold back trust, it is a recipe for disaster, and to be victorious, we are to press in with a wholehearted trust. It takes courage for that kind of trust. Now, to be courageous in our trust doesn't mean that we'll never have fear. Fear is a part of the human condition. I think that's why one of the number one commands in Scripture that God gives us is to fear not. See, the question is not, will I be afraid? The question is, will I allow my fear to paralyze me? I like how Erwin McManus says it. 
Irwin says, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the absence of self. My courage is not in, in, in what I think I can do. My courage is in emptying myself and saying, I'm going to place all my trust in you, God, what it is you can do. This church in Philadelphia, they've had a tribute to testimony of what their life was like. They've had a challenge. And now we see the Lord is giving them a specific promise quickly in three parts. This is what he gave to the church of Philadelphia. And we're going to see what it means to us in just a minute. The first part of the promise is strength. Look at verse 12. You will become pillars in the temple of my God. Have you ever heard of someone referred to as, as a pillar of the church? They are a strong believer. They have a strong influence. They have strong faith uh, that, that others can rest on them. We see this picture that God is giving them strength. Now, now, make sure we see this in context. This isn't a promise of strength for whatever they want to do. This isn't a promise of strength for them to promote themselves and to get all the things that they'd hoped for. This is a promise of strength to be a pillar in the house of God, the temple of God. It's strength for his agenda, not your agenda. It's Strength for what God has called them to do. There's a promise of strength. God promises to do that in us as well. When we trust on Him, He will always give us the strength to do His agenda. Another promise. It's a promise of security. Look at verse 12. And they will never have to leave it, referring to this temple of the Lord. Now, to catch this, the city of Philadelphia, uh, to whom this letter was originally written, where this passage was written, uh, we see this atmosphere of insecurity permeating the culture. Scholars tell us that at that time there was earthquakes that plagued that city. There was these aftershocks that would happen. There was a literal shaking of the ground, literal storms of the earth that brought insecurity to them. And the Lord is saying, I will give you security. Not that nothing bad will happen. Not that the earthquakes will stop. Not that there will ever be tremors. But in the presence of my work, in the presence of my temple, I will bring security to you. Friends, I believe there's another application for us. That God does not promise that you'll never have bad things happen. God does not promise you'll never have a challenge in your life. But you can have absolute strength to do His will. You can have absolute security that you will have the safety to stay in His hand, even though adversity can come at you. Finally, for this church in Philadelphia, there was a promise of a witness. Unparalleled in all of other history, different than anything else I'd ever seen. Verse 12, and I will write on them the name of my God. I will also write on them my new name. What's so incredible about that, you ask? Well, it was a Greek custom and pattern that they would take the slaves of the day and they would mark them, permanently mark them. We would think of a tattoo marking them with the name of their owner for all to see who they belong to. There is this concept and idea woven through this portion of this passage saying you, there will be a witness. You will be marked for all eternity of whose you are. I will mark you with my name, God Almighty says. With my new name, Jesus says, you will be marked and your witness will be out of whose you are, not what kind of defense or argument you can bring up to try to defend us. Well, that's a good history lesson. That's a good talk. Good things to look at. But what in the world does this have to do with you and me? Let's look at some application together. We're not done yet. You can sit there. We're not done yet. There's some application that I believe we need. First, we can begin to understand 
that God has some doors he wants to lead us through. There's this quote from a book I want you to hear. It's from the book called Doors. I don't know the name of the author. Written by someone probably smarter than me, for sure. But this quote stuck out to me. Doors are an everyday part of life. And as a result, are often taken for granted. But doors are more than just practical gateways through which we all pass several times a day. They also represent opportunity, pulling us forward with the hope of what or who might lie within. They encourage our imaginative wanderings and are a tangible symbol of the future. What will become of us when we pass through this door or that door? Do we dare cross the threshold? When I read those words this week, I, I thought about that last question. Is maybe a question that Jesus would have for you and I. What door he has before you? Imagine if you would cross through that decision, go through that crossroad. Imagine what would lie behind or just on the other side. Imagine what blessings he could have for you. But it's only when we cross the threshold of that door that we begin to see the power that moves in our life. Now, it's human nature to come up onto the threshold, right on the edge of the door, and we don't want to cross over it until we have some kind of sign or evidence. But that's not the way the kingdom of God works. He says, I want you to have this ruthless trust in me. Step out in obedience. You've been a people of faith. I've given you commands. I've told you the promise. I will open a door for you. You must walk through it, and you will see my blessing. Here's the first of two thoughts for us in application. When God opens a door, he affirms his potential for me. I want you to say that with me. Say it out loud. When God opens a door, he affirms his potential for me. Now, one more time like you believe it. When God opens a door, he affirms his potential for me. That's truth for someone today. When God is opening this door, he's saying, this is the potential I have for you. He's affirming, I can do great things for you. But, but don't forget, that's only half of what I think God wants to say to us today. The other half is this. When I walk through the door, I appropriate his power in me. Say that with me. When I walk through the door, I appropriate his power in me. One more time. When I walk through the door... I appropriate his power in me. I release, I set free the power of God when I move in obedience and walk through that door. Church, you've had great attention today. But I feel like we'd be amiss if we would just point the way and talk about it without giving it an opportunity to actually cross the threshold of the door. I think there's some here today, you have already marked down in your outline, there is a decision that you need clarity on. There is a set of doors in front of you, and you need wisdom on which door to walk through. Others of you, you have an impossible situation in your life, and you need Jesus to open up the door for you. You couldn't make it happen. You couldn't be good enough, try hard enough. It won't open. You need Jesus to open a door for you that no one else can shut. You need a miracle door opened for you. And just like Jesus, when he was calling his disciples, he would often call them to come forward, to step out, to put feet to their faith, and begin to move into obedience. In a moment, not yet, I'm going to open up the altar and invite you, if you're here and there's a decision that you're needing to make, you find yourself at a crossroads, you need the Lord to open a door for you to come seek him. And we won't hang out here long. We won't tarry here long. It's not in our length that, that is spiritual. It's in our focus. But we're going to pray together those three M's. God, where's my motivation? Where's your message? And, and Lord, are you giving momentum? We're going to pray together. But before we do that, I, I think there's some here. This promise is first for the Church of Philadelphia. The Lord brings that to us when we have the similar conditions in our life as well. If you're here today and you're living in disobedience to God... This isn't the promise 
for you. But I want to encourage you, in the same book that we've been reading from today, Jesus says, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. To him who opens the door, I will come in, I will eat with him, and he will eat with me. I have a relationship with him. And so for some of us, before we seek God's will, before we want him to open up a door in our life, we need to be in right relationship with him. And as others come to pray about a decision, to pray about an open door that's needed, I want to invite you to come with them. You may want to to surrender your life to Jesus. You found disobedience in your life, and you know that that disobedience is sin, and it separates you from God. There's hope today. He has a door he wants to open of your heart and come in and bring salvation to your home. Well, if the Lord's speaking to you, I don't want you to wait for anybody else. You're always free to go. There's no locks on the door. But there's kingdom, eternal things happening right here. And for many of you, what is weighing heavy on your heart, what God wants to do, he's saying you're at the threshold. You've heard about it. You took notes on it. You've listened to it. That's nice. Walk through it. I hate it when you do this. Can I just sit at my seat? Can't I pray to God in the shower? If I can pray to God at the lake, can't I pray in my room? Yeah, you can. But I think Jesus maybe wants to do something for you. It's not for me. It's not for us. He wants you to put feet to your faith and stepping out as symbolizing as you walk through in obedience. He wants to give you that direction. If God's speaking to you, I want to invite you, come meet me at this altar. If you can't kneel, you can sit in the front row. We're going to pray together as Pastor Edgar sings. Let's seek God together. Lord, I come to you with my heartbeat faith, renewed, flowing from the grave that I found in you. As many have come, if the Lord is still tugging on your heart, you just come as I'm praying. Friends, this wonderful truth that was first given to the church of Philadelphia, it's rooted in the people who are living a life for the Lord. 
they're characterized by those around of, uh, of being servants, of being humble, of being weak and dependent on the Lord. And, and, and they didn't just obey once, but there's continual obedience and a call to trust Him. And, and there's promises of strength and promises of security to, to have strength to do what He wants, security that He'll be protected to do what He wants you to do. And right in the middle of all this is this great big truth that Jesus will open a door that cannot be opened any other way. And friend, if you're here at the altar, if you're at your seat, the first and most important thing in finding God's will and making decisions is to be in that right relationship with Him. And so if you're here today and you're not sure, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. I'll pray it out loud. You can pray it silently. And it's not so important that you try to memorize every word that I say, but it's super important that this matches your heart. So you talk to the Lord as I pray out loud. Let this be your prayer. Or something to this effect. Father God, you're helping me see today that there's things that I've said and done that are wrong. You're helping me see today that those things are sin and they separate me from you. I sense, Jesus, that you are knocking at my heart's door. So as I open my heart's door to you, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin today. I'm not just sorry for my sin. But with your help, Jesus, I want to live obedient to you for the rest of my days. Would you come in? Do life with me? Would you be in charge of my life? Thank you, Jesus. For not only opening my heart's door today, thank you for saving me today. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, Scripture is clear all over the place that heaven is rejoicing right now. It's not sometimes, it's not most of the time. Every time, He will hear that prayer and with the sincerity of your heart confirmed with Him, He will bring salvation to you today. If that's you, I want to challenge you before you leave, you need to tell someone. Come tell me that you've rededicated your life to Christ. Come tell me that you've accepted Christ for the first time. Tell one of our pastors if if you can't get to me. We want to celebrate with you. We want to help you on this journey. But there's many, many, many here this morning that you say, Brady, that's how I'm living. And, And I want to affirm, I see that in you. You are a people of service. You are a people of humility. You understand your own weakness. You are a people who are desperate for God to move. You are a people who followed God's command to continue to obey and trusting Him. And you're seeing His strength that He gives to you. You're seeing His security. But there is this need for an open door. I want to pray with you right now. I invite you, in your own words, just ask Jesus to show you the motive of your heart in this decision. Let's do that right now. Don't put it off right now. Jesus, I ask that you would show my brother and sister, show myself, what is the true motivation in our heart for this decision, this fork in the road, this crossroads, this need where we want you to open a door. Lord, is there pride there? Would you remove it? Is there a self-centeredness there? Lord, would you empty us of it? God, I know you've already told me there's some here today that there's fear. 
They're making a decision based out of they can't imagine anything else. Lord, would you remove the fear? Would you help them to have courage? It's not an absence of fear. It's an absence of themselves that without you, they're terrified. But with you, they can have confidence. Jesus, would you show them the motivation? We want our motivation to be you, Jesus. Friend, I invite you to ask Jesus to, to show you how this decision lines with the message of his word. Lord, I ask right now, you'll bring back the passage of scriptures that my brother and sister have heard. Remind them of the truth in your word. Show them, Lord, if this conflicts with anything that you've already said. Jesus, we want to follow your message, not trying to get you to squeeze into our agenda. Finally, Lord, would you give that momentum as we are committed to following Following, Lord, this motivation of your heart. Following, Lord, the message, aligning our life to your message. Lord, would you give the momentum? Would you give the sense of oughtness, this growing rightness, that they would sense even now that you are leading them in this direction? And Jesus, I ask that you would open the door wide that could not be opened any other way. Would you not allow it to be closed and make it so obvious? Give them, Lord, the strength. Give them, Lord, the security. To follow through, and Lord, would you allow us to be witnesses marked for you in our obedience? So, friend, right now, I invite you to make the decision. Walk through that door. Before you see the sign, before you see the evidence, Jesus, I think this is what you're saying. Lord, if I have it wrong, correct me. I'll take a step back. But, but don't wait. You just mentally say, I'm going to make my decision. I think this is what you're calling me to do. I want to walk through it right now. Jesus, I celebrate the hope that you give. Lord, I pray that you will help us see the lies of our world that have false claims of hope and embrace the life-giving direction that you give. In your name I pray, amen and amen. We're going to allow those who are praying to pray as long as they'd like. Congregation, would you stand with me? I appreciate your patience today. It's good to wait on the Lord. It's good to linger in His presence. Can't think of anything better to do on His day than to spend time at His feet, chewing on His Word, focusing on Him. If the Lord has brought an answer for you today, either in salvation or an answer to prayer, celebrate that big. Tell somebody. Don't keep it to yourself. I want to hear it. The people around you want to hear it. If you're not sure what celebration looks like, You've got to come back, even if you know what it looks like. You've got to come back tomorrow night at 6.30. We meet in the youth center. Everybody who's 18 and older, we're going to have a huge birthday party. At a birthday party, you celebrate the life that has happened over the last year. A one-year-old, you're just excited they can move their arms. They can smash their face in the cake, all right? But life has happened. We've seen things happen. We're going to praise the Lord. Doors have been opened, and we need you to celebrate with us. It's going to strengthen your faith and encourage your faith. But don't miss out on celebrating what God has done. May you go with the blessing and the direction of the Lord. Let him open doors for you that cannot be opened any other way. God bless you. You're dismissed.